Well, as we begin, I, I want to give a big thank you to those uh, individuals and families who helped with the food drive yesterday uh, for Lazarus House and um, collecting groceries at the grocery stores. We were, compared to la- uh, other years, were very much shorthanded uh, in terms of uh, volunteers for this. Uh, in God's economy and in God's grace, the outpouring of generosity was uh, over and above what we've seen in the past, and it was amazing. And got to Lazarus' house with a truck load or a truck and a half load of food, and the leader there at the Lazarus' house said, "We our shelves have been bare. We had to close down the food pantry last week. This food that you're bringing today will keep us going right through mid-December." And so just stock the shelves, and they were blessed. And, and God is good. And we when we do these things, um, we, you know, there's been times we've been out collecting groceries and somebody hands a bag and says, you know what, I used to get my groceries from the Lazarus house and now I can buy them and you can donate them there. And just a beautiful um, giving and receiving and, uh, and just blessing, seeing God's blessing through that. So thank you for those of you who participated in that. I uh, also want to give a special welcome to any, anybody who's here from out of town who was in town for the wedding yesterday and, and we welcome you here to worship with us. Um, also want to welcome any of you who normally sleep through church on Sunday morning and uh, by the grace of, of turning your clock back are able to join us. I do not judge you. Uh, you tend to be very fun people who are out late on Saturday nights and uh, we're glad you're here. So for, uh, for all of us, uh, we are picking up in, in a sermon series, I Heart the Bible. I love the Bible. Why do I love my Bible so much and why do we spend so much of our time when we're gathered in worship uh, reading and reflecting on scripture. and So we've been kind of journeying through this. What does it say? What would it do to me if, as I engage this spiritual book? And uh, my, my own fears and really my own insecurities when we kind of entering into this journey, I was worried that this wasn't uh, deep enough, that this was too basic, that this was somehow uh, not enough. It wasn't compelling or it wasn't impressive enough. And, and just the Lord showing me, you know, your job is not to impress people. Your job is to proclaim my word and to be obedient. And, um, but for me personally, journeying through this and talking, through, talking to a number of you as we've gone through this, there's been a lot here for us. And uh, this has been, um, there, there has been some beautiful depth to this. And this is important for us as a community. We're a community. We've been through a number of changes this year. We've been through some difficult things together. And as we move forward, we realize that we are moving forward as a people of faith. We are moving forward as a people who are joined together, trusting God together, committed to him and committed to his word. And um, so we, we will face whatever storms we face. We may feel unsettled, but we go back in those times to our firm foundation, our foundation of faith in God and our trust in him and his word. And so this is a good timing for us as a community. Today, uh, we're going to be focusing on something that perhaps, of, of all the weeks of this series, might be the most important. I've mentioned previously a book called Move, which is the, the results of survey of uh, 250,000 people in, in, a, in over 1,000 churches in the United States. It's just a huge, massive undertaking. And it, it was a kind of a troublesome undertaking because whenever you try to survey or quantify spiritual growth, uh, you're kind of in a, it, it's, it's kind of a faulty just right from its premise. The research is far from perfect. And it's older research now was completed in 2010. So 
nonetheless, just the sheer volume of the research and the scope of it, uh, I find it valuable. And here's what the research found. They said, nothing has a greater impact on spiritual growth than reflection on Scripture. Quoting from the research, if churches could do only one thing to help people at all levels of spiritual maturity grow in their relationship with Christ, their choice is clear. They would inspire, encourage, and equip their people to read the Bible, specifically to reflect on Scripture for meaning in their lives. The, number of, the numbers say that most churches are missing the mark because only one out of five congregants in the survey reflect on Scripture every day. I, I agree with this so strongly, and I don't want to overstate it, right? and I've said, it's not the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures. We worship God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But it's through His Word to us, in our engagement with His Word, that we grow in our knowledge of Him and His heart and His way, that our hearts are changed through His words. If, if we were a people who were truly committed to meditating on God's word every day, day and night, as Psalm 1 describes here, night and day, meditating on the word, we would be a people who are like that tree planted by the streams of water, and we would be yielding fruit in season and out of season. And it, um, it would be fruitful and prosperous in our actions, and even in a season of drought, there would be a health and, and, and a prospering in that. Um, but to, to get there together, God's word and meditating on his word would have to be our delight. I could stand up here and say, hey, let's all make a commitment to each other. We're just going to read our Bible more. I actually don't think fundamentally, foundationally, that would make a huge change for us. Because you, would, you might do it because you trust me or you uh, want to agree with me. You might do it out of a sense of obligation. You might even do it out of guilt for not doing it. But here we see that it is about a delight. What if we were people who just couldn't wait? We were just so excited to engage and meditate in God's word, to drink deeply from his word every day. Our faith is not a commitment to uh, just religious practices and doing better at religious obligations. Our faith is a commitment to God and, and a submission to his Holy Spirit to come and to change our hearts and to do his work, to turn our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, that our delight genuinely would be in him and in his way and in his word. And, and then we would truly be people meditating, people of the word. Uh, Pastor Todd Wagner, he put it like this. He said, church leaders need to bleed scripture when they are cut. You know, could, we, could free Christian church be a place where we bleed scriptures because we've just so thoroughly meditated and saturated our lives in it? That would be, um, that would be something. Let's, let's pray as we approach this. Father, that's my heart and for our community, I believe, Lord, your heart, that we would know your word, that it would just so infiltrate and transform and saturate our lives that uh, you would be using that for your glory, for a season of fruitfulness and a season of goodness and a season of blessing uh, to our world, Lord. Uh, so may it be, as we turn now again to your word, Lord, we just pray that you would uh, enlighten our hearts, enliven us to know it and to understand and to respond uh, to your spirit, who is present with us now. We give you the glory for that. 
And we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going to take a look at Psalm 1 today. Psalm, the Psalms in the Bible is the ancient prayer book, the prayer book of ancient Israel. It's just a, a collection of prayers. But Psalm 1 is not a prayer. If you read it, it doesn't read like a prayer. It is sort of an uh, introduction to the prayers. It's a pre-prayer, if you will. And it is a meditation that gets us ready to pray. So it's a meditation on meditation, if you will. And in this beautiful psalm, this introduction to prayer, is three contrasts that teach us about meditating on God's word. So I want to look at these three contrasts today. Uh, The first contrast is two paths, right in verse 1. The first path, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. The first part of the contrast is a lifestyle to be avoided, that we are not going to live a certain way. It is a path uh, with, on this path, uh, you can walk, you can stand, and you can sit. You can almost see a progression there. You can, you know, it's one thing to walk by something evil, and, you know, with, you know, walking with my kids in the city, and you see something that's uh, not okay, or somebody's doing something illegal or dangerous, you say, oh, kids, keep, you know, let's keep walking. It's a different thing to stop and look at it and engage it. It's a different thing to sit down and participate. So here, the, the blessed one, and blessed is a huge word in Scripture. It's not just happy and blessed as, as we might think it, but ultimately blessed and satisfied and things are right. That we, don't, we, we are not to walk in this path. We are not to sit in this way. We are not to, um, to stop and stand and participate. And you might, at this point, say, well... Didn't Jesus do that? Wasn't he the one who was with the sinners and uh, with the, those who weren't doing the right thing? And he was actually accused of being a friend of sinners. At one point in the Gospel of Matthew, they, they were saying he was a glutton and a drunkard because he was hanging out with these... He spent so much time eating with these so-called sinners. Um, the point here is not that associating, uh, not showing light to those who are stuck in sin and in a bad path. It's about adopting their attitude, sitting in company in a way that uh, participates with them. And so we do need to get near to people who are lost, who we might consider sinners or we might consider the wicked, to to bless and to, to show a different way, a different path. But the whole point, if, as soon as we start getting into the us, we're the righteous and they the wicked, as soon as we start putting ourselves in one of those camps, we quickly forget that we too are the wicked. That every one of us is the sinner and the mocker in our own right. And if Jesus were not to stop us in our path, actually to stand in the path of God's judgment in our place, that we would all be walking in that path and all be heading towards that just way of life that leads to destruction. This is a bad path. But because Jesus stood in our place on the cross, we can be, uh, we, we can, we can be on a different path. So the contrasting path here is a path of meditation in verse 2. Blessed is the one who, who, whose delight is in the law of the Lord and meditates on his law day and night. It's meditating on God's law. Now, God's law is all of his word, all of scripture, not just the parts that are 
Levitical law or reading you know, Leviticus or Deuteronomy. Not just that. Even Jesus called the Psalms God's law. It's, it's all God's word. It's all his, his way. And it's meditating day and night. It's a, it's a perpetual, ongoing awareness and reflection on God's word that, is a, that creates a different path. So what is meditation? What is Christian meditation? Because I think it could be misunderstood. The word meditate in Hebrew is it's an onomatopoeia. It sounds like, it, the word is hagah, but it sounds kind of like mumbling or murmuring under your breath. Like you're repeating something in a low, repeating voice. And it can mean to just re-recite things. Now, remembering, we talked about this last week, is that the notion that you have a Bible in front of you, that's your own personal Bible, whether it's on your phone or on a device or paper, that you sit and you can read and reflect on it, that's a kind of a new concept because people didn't have printed Bibles for most of the history of the church. So they would hear God's word spoken and you would repeat it to yourself or you might recite it out loud together in community and then take it with you and you might uh, murmur it, repeat it over and over just to saturate your life with this word. So meditating on scriptures, not just reading something that's inspiring or or reading the Bible and saying, wow, I kind of relate to that. It's much more than that. It's something that is to be absorbed into the the very fabric of our lives. So it's more than Bible study and word studies and, and, um, you know, using books and commentaries. Those things are wonderful. My office is full of that stuff. I, I love those things. I treasure those things. But it's not just that study. It's about, um, it's not about mastering the text. It's about letting that text master you. Acknowledging that it's not me figuring God out, but God who knows everything, whose ways are higher than my ways, allowing his word to come in and to do its work on me, to master me. Pastor Tim Keller says, meditation is taking the truth down into our hearts until it catches fire. And then it begins to melt and shape our reactions to God, our reactions to ourselves and to the world. It's meditation. We even sang uh, words of meditation today. We sing this song, Bless the Lord, O my soul. That's the words of Scripture, Psalm 103. Uh, Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits. That's not a prayer either. That's a meditation. Bless the Lord, O my soul, my inmost being. It's not, um, I praise you, Lord. It's not, people of God praise the Lord. It's my soul. The audience is me. I am reflecting, reminding myself to praise the Lord, my soul, my inmost being, praise his name. Don't forget his benefits. It's, It's speaking to your own soul. Aware of God's presence, taking the truth of God's word, remembering his benefits, remembering his grace, remembering his presence, and taking it deep inside yourself. That's Christian meditation. Therefore, Christian meditation is not an emptying of the mind. Many forms of meditation, and there's other um, cultures and other religions that practice forms of meditation, but often they are an emptying of the mind. That's not what Christian meditation is. Now, to focus on God's word, you might need to clear out distraction, just distracting thoughts, anxious thoughts. 
Um, but the goal, is, the goal is not to empty the mind. The goal is to fill the mind with the word of God and to engage it. It's a very rational process. You know, we don't stop. We don't just empty our mind and say, oh, that felt good. You know, the, um, it would actually, and, and there's, there are those who would say, hey, I, I meditated today and I just took every thought and I just sent them away and then I just, I just had nothing and it was just really great. But the problem is that's not reality. Because you come out of that meditation and your life is still, you know, your life's still a mess. Those anxious thoughts are still, they're going to come right back. Um, it's not actually that type of meditation. It's not that much different than getting high or getting really drunk and you just forget your worries for a while. And that feels good. But then you sober up and they're all back. Christian meditation is, is yes, dumping those things, focusing on God's word and then bringing that back to those thoughts. And it's a path of meditation. So that's the first contrast. Is there's this there's wicked path and there's a path of meditation on God's word. The second contrast is two plants. We see this in verse 3. The first plant is a tree planted by water. Verse 3, the person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Being planted in a place where you could re- receive the nourishment you need to go deep. Stability, not easily blown over. Like the, like the tree in my mom's yard this week. Oh my goodness. Third time. Back in the late 90s, it was an ice storm. Tree came crashing through the roof into the breakfast nook. Huge oak tree. And that was horrifying. And the newspaper came and they took pictures of it. And, we're, you know, our house was in the newspaper. Then two years ago... Huge tree in, in a, another windstorm comes crashing down, crushes my mom's car completely, which sounds bad, except that it crushed the car and not the person standing next to the car who just got knocked over. But the car saved this person's life. And, or my mom said, God saved this person's life. But um, Then, just this week, another huge oak tree, this big around, uh, crashes down, knocks out the power to the whole neighborhood, uh, blocks the entire driveway. Uh, there's some, Mom, we should probably prune these trees a little more or something, but, but I suppose God's doing it for us. Um, but not having the, 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 the deep root and the stability, and here we see a tree planted in the right place. Receiving that nourishment, as my friend uh, Pastor David Midwood would say, it's not a pipe, it's not water coming in and water going out, it's water coming in, and then somehow organically there's a fundamental change, water in, fruit out the other side. There's transformation that happens as the nourishment comes in, as the roots go deep. It's, uh, but now, as we do that, we know that there's... Those changes, a fundamental change in my heart and my attitude. And so it doesn't always feel good. But the great thing about meditating on God's word is God's word doesn't change. You don't choose the Bible. It is what it is. It says what it says. And Now, in some ways, there's a bit of a danger for us today. Because we have such great access to the Bible, we can just have a daily, you know, verse of the day. Just sends me a verse. And that's often a very encouraging verse, a very positive verse. Not, maybe it's even just part of a verse, kind of out of context. And it, it feels good. And that's great. That is actually a very good thing. But when we read the Bible it, we, and we subject ourselves to it, instead of just searching for a certain word or phrase that we want to hear, and again, remember, that's a kind of a new idea. 
for years and years and in many traditions, or I guess when you come to church, you're going to get what is being read and preached. You're not going to get just kind of what you want to hear. And it changes us. Hebrews 4, 12, again, the word of God living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. It goes on to say, everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God's word just lays us completely bare. And it it starts to go places. And when we drink that water in, it is changing the things that... uh, Jesus offered living water to this woman at the well. But what that living water did was show her, it exposed her life of sin. But it also gave her great joy because she could be freed. We just need to remember, we're not in charge of our lives. God's in charge. We report to the king. What does the king have to say about this? And it, uh, it creates this enduring uh, quality of fruitfulness. And the fruitfulness, praise God, comes in its season. So not every season is fruit. Actually, some seasons are going to be dry. Some seasons are going to be difficult and hot. And there'll be darkness and there could be cold. But if the roots are deep and still nourished by that water, then it will thrive even in the dryness. Now the contrast there is the chaff. So this is our second contrast is the chaff. Um, Verse 4, not so the wicked, they're like chaff that blows away. That's our second plant. It's, it's wheat or some kind of grain. And all you have to do is bang it against a rock and then the husk, the chaff, just any breeze will just blow it away. It's hollow. It's thin. It just, it just goes. Jesus said a very similar thing. A, di- a little bit different image. He said, anybody who hears my word and puts it into practice is like the person who built their house on a rock. So whatever storms come, that's going to stand firm. The person who hears my word, but it doesn't go deep, doesn't put it into practice. You built that house on sand. And when the storms come, that house is going to topple over because it didn't have the foundation. Here's the roots. It's the roots that are in that living water, the stream, that when when the wind blows, when there's the dry season, it doesn't just blow away like chaff, but it stands firm. And if you feel easily annoyed or easily uh, criticized, easily sensitive, easily tossed, every little thing is bothering you, perhaps the, the roots aren't deep to pull that water that you need to get through those dry times, to get through the heat that comes to us. Meditation on God's word is, is, gives us those deep roots into the water. So we have two paths Two plants, and finally, our last contrast is two potentials in verse 5 and 6. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. There's two potential ways here. One potential is that our way is watched over and protected by God, that he gives light to the path. That is the potential forward. The contrast is, is dis, the potential is destruction. The wicked and the sinner is not able to stand in God's judgment. Again, the contrast is it's the path of meditation. It's, it is a plant that is by the water and it is a potential of walking in righteousness with God's protection. And that's why we meditate on God's word. Now, how do we do it? Quickly, just real practical. Um, be intentional. 
Have a time. Stop what you're doing and relax. Now, stretching and sitting comfortable and breathing deeply, those are all great ways to relax yourself, to prepare yourself, to fill your mind. But remember, those types of practices aren't an end in themselves. We're not just emptying the mind, but we are filling it with the Word of God. And I also don't recommend that Christians, especially if you're a newer Christian, that you would just sit and say, okay, God, speak to me. Um, I do believe that God can speak to us, but often when we do that, our first thoughts are the things that are important to us. But when we turn to God's word, we're going to see what is important to God, not starting with what's important to me. And not just having wordless communication, but learning God's heart by learning his word. Wordless communication is good. I, my, my wife and I, we would enjoy, I would think, if we just were to gaze into each other's eyes for like 20 minutes. And just, just stare. And just 20 minutes of just silently, just this gazing and being together. Now, relationally, that would do something. That would be good. That would be, I think, kind of romantic. It, but it's built on you know, 18 years of marriage and time we knew each other before that where there were a lot of words exchanged. We, we know each other's hearts. We've had a lot of conversations so that we can kind of gaze at each other and it's okay. You wouldn't do that on your first date. Say, hey, I'd like to get to know you better. And just... There would not have been 18 years of marriage. There would be nothing. That's weird. We approach God and... We learn his voice, and the more that we can hear it through his word that we have, his unchanging word, the more that those subtle ways that God speaks to us, those quieter ways that God speaks to us, we can understand them and actually be less likely to misunderstand our own thoughts and emotions and be able to understand his word. So Christian meditation is very rational. Uh, We don't suppress our thinking. We we engage the mind. Um, So we... Understand the passage, whether it's through your small group and, and a, a Bible study. You know, what does this passage really mean? What was the intent of this word? Not just because um, sometimes a word or something will strike us in Scripture that actually isn't what is intended in, in the context in which it was written. So we try to understand these things and then we read it and reread it. I talk to people all the time. They say, you know, I've seen that passage a hundred times and I've never noticed this one thing. That God showed me something new. That we, we can repeat it and even memorize it. If, and again, the, the need for us to memorize, because we have such access, is uh, perhaps less and less. And that's maybe less of an emphasis. But there's a beauty to just having it. And then you can ruminate on it and, and again, chew on it as you go. And then you can preach to yourself. Oh, my soul, forget not all his benefits. And just remind yourself of God's goodness that you see in his word. And then, um, Lord, what are you showing me? How do you want me to apply this? And how do you want me to respond? So as we do this, as we are meditating on his word, as we are uh, planted by the stream, and as we are uh, you know, bearing fruit in season and, and, and the Lord is guiding the path, um, then when we are people, when we get cut, we bleed scripture. And the cuts are going to come. So if you say, you know, I've just made so many mistakes in my life. I'm just, my life isn't good enough. You remember God's word that says the thief is the one who comes to 
kill, steal, and kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come that I might have life and have it abundantly. I remember that as far as the east is from the west, that is how far God has removed our sins and our transgressions from us. When I'm struggling in my relationships or struggling in my marriage, I remember that, uh, that what God has joined together, let nobody separate. That, that a marriage is a, is a mystical union between, it's a great mystery, but it's about Christ and his church. And I remember God's word. When, when I'm annoyed with whatever of the day or my coworker or my family member, I remember that my light and momentary, my light and momentary troubles are achieving for me eternal reward that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is, unse- not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. When I am fearful or anxious, I remember that I cast all my anxiety on him, for he cares for me. And, I, and these things are, the water has been in, and it has transformed, and now it can bear fruit to these situations that you will face this week. And then we remember Jesus. And when Jesus was cut, and when Jesus bled, when he was on the cross, scripture flowed from him. He cried out the words of Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? as he hangs there on the cross, for you and for me. And Psalm 22 goes on to speak about uh, the, the being dry in the mouth, and Jesus cries out on the cross, I thirst. And Jesus, his thirst, he took that on. He took on the judgment of God for you, that we might have that living water, that our roots might go deep, and that we might be nourished by him who gave it all for us. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We praise you for it. Father, you need to come in at this time and we just humbly ask, Lord, that you would change our hearts, Lord. Change my heart that, that your word is, Lord, in no way a chore or just another thing to check off, Lord, but that you would change our hearts to see delight. To have delight in your word and your way, Lord. We pray that it would be. We pray that we would be a community rooted deep into your word. That it would bear fruit as a blessing to the world around us as we go. That it would change us. That it would remind us, Lord. We thank you that even in the driest of season, and many are going through seasons of, of heat and drought, that, Father, we can be nourished even in those times. Because you are alive. Because you guide us into paths of righteousness. And we pray that this would all be for the sake of your kingdom and for your glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.